It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 48 of Sports Day Plus. 645, where are we at in society? Electric vehicle owners had a serious problem during the recent countrywide deep freeze. At 6.15, it is the first of my weekly two-segment chat with Justin Wells of Inside Texas and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. And a mere seconds, the Longhorns keep killing it in the transfer portal, partially at the expense of a suddenly crumbling Bama program. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at CourtesyWave. And do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Boy, some days I regret having to record this show a couple of hours in advance of when it actually airs on 1027 ESPN. And it feels like since the Texas Longhorns hit the offseason, there have been a lot of those days because... There's a lot of late-day news that ends up dropping with regards to Texas landing another highly coveted transfer that just misses the cut. And that's exactly what happened yesterday when the Longhorns landed not one, but two more guys in the transfer portal that really may help fill gaps at positions of need on this roster. Certainly positions of need... In one case, heading into this offseason with all the productivity that you're going to be losing to the NFL draft. But in another case, it's a guy who may have been helpful last year, but hey, if you get his services for this year, great. The Texas Longhorns have had needs at several positions heading into this offseason. Safety is one obvious area of need, as is that wide receiver position. You lose your top five pass catchers off of this most recent team. Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, Jatavian Sanders, Jonathan Brooks all going pro, and then you add Jordan Whittington into that mix as well. There was going to be a need specifically at wide receiver. I think a secondary need at tight end, even though you feel good about Gunnar Helm as the starter there next year, and then much less of a concern at running back where the cupboard seems fully stocked right now. And the Texas Longhorns have hit the transfer portal market hard in that regard, starting with landing Matthew Golden, talented wideout for Houston this past season, a guy who is not only good as a receiver, but also excelled as a punt and kick returner. Then you go out and get Isaiah Bond from Alabama, announced his intents to transfer just a day after Nick Saban retired last week, visited Texas over the weekend, I think by the time he had left Austin, a commitment and signed letter of intent was in place for Isaiah Bond to be that second receiver. And with Jonte Cook already on the roster, we as Texas fans feel pretty good, at least about the first three guys slated to catch passes from Quinn Ewers in 2024. But wait, there's more. Because yesterday afternoon, Silas Bolden, Oregon State's top wide receiver this past season also gave his pledge to the University of Texas to play his final year of eligibility here in Austin. Now, Bolden is not the biggest-bodied guy, but what he lacks in size, he makes up for 
with explosiveness and serious quickness, too. There's another guy who is somewhat of a Swiss Army knife in terms of all the things that you can ask him to do for you rooted in that wide receiver spot. And while we got used to Steve Sarkeesian really only using three wide receivers last year, very occasionally would bring a fourth onto the field, and that was usually Jonte Cook. Sark does have a history when he does have four really talented guys of getting the ball to all four dudes, again, with not much of a rotation past that. You need to look no further than back in 2019 when Steve Sarkeesian was the OC at Alabama. They had four pretty good receivers that year. Jerry Judy, who was the number one. Devontae Smith, a future Heisman winner, of course. Henry Ruggs. And then Jalen Waddell. Judy, as the number one guy. 108 catches. Excuse me, 77 catches. Over 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns. Smith, 67 catches. Over 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns. Ruggs, 40 catches, 7 touchdowns. Waddle, 33 catches, 560 yards, 6 touchdowns. So Steve Sarkeesian, if he has the weapons, is happy to find ways to make that work. And with Quinn Ewers back as the starting quarterback next year, which I would argue minimizes just how painful it is to lose all the guys that they are off of this year's roster, especially when you're able to reload as such. Quinn Ewers being there helps to accelerate the learning curve for all these guys who are having to come in to learn this new offense. On top of getting Silas Bolden yesterday, the Longhorns potentially address a need at linebacker, but also with special teams. That would be because another former Alabama Crimson Tide member who entered the transfer portal, Kendrick Blackshire, linebacker. Guy who's earned a lot of reps on special teams for Bama over the last few seasons. He is now also a Texas Longhorn. So linebacker is a position where you wonder about the depth there. Blackshire will certainly try to push for playing time, but if nothing else, he is another exceptional performer in special teams. The third facet that is far too often overlooked, even though it has a ton of importance with regards to whether a team wins or loses games. Who knows if they stop here? There are a couple more guys who entered their names into the portal from Alabama a little bit earlier today. That would be Caleb Downs, who is reportedly supposed to earn quarterback-type money from the next school he decides to attend. And then also Caden Proctor, a true freshman who started at left tackle for Alabama this last year. And there were certainly some growing pains early on. Caden Proctor really started to show that five-star prowess by the end of this last season. If I'm Texas, I'm having an extensive conversation about and with both of those guys. Safety may be the biggest area of need just because of how big of a letdown it was this last season. Even though you feel better about Akuba coming in from Clemson, Derek Williams coming back for his true sophomore season, a guy who was already on the roster, Taff a steadying influence back there, Jade Barron has a lot of versatility rooted in that nickel safety position. 
you have a chance to go get Caleb Downs, you pounce at that. Same goes for Caden Proctor, too, by the way. Even though his future is at left tackle, slide him over to right tackle for a season. Allow him to add to his versatility with an understanding that his third year as a collegian, he will likely be taking over for an All-American. With Kelvin Banks hopefully garnering those honors this coming season and moving on to the NFL as a likely first-round draft pick. So we somehow may still not be done with Texas football just continuing to earn an A-plus with their off-season roster construction and how they are utilizing the transfer portal to ensure that there are even less questions about this roster heading into 2024 than there were 2023. 2023, as we all know now, was a conference championship winning team and one that was very close to playing for a national championship. Just one errant throw away from most likely facing Michigan for that national championship. And look, I understand Washington beat the Longhorns, but this is a matchup dependent year because there were no truly great teams in college football. It felt like Texas matched up really well with Michigan specifically because they were so good against the run all season long. All right, coming up, we are going to continue the Longhorn football conversation. Probably going to have to talk a little Cowboys, too, with my friend Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. That's coming up next. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It is a Wednesday at 6.15, means it's time for my weekly two-segment chat with Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Give him a follow on Twitter at JustinWells2424. Justin, always a pleasure. How are we doing this week? Man, I am blessed. I am blessed. We are blessed. A lot of stuff going on. I thought I thought the football season was over, and I was wrong. Portal season is its own season. And so we are jumping into the the mountain that is the NCAA transfer portal acquisitions. Yeah, the transfer portal has kind of replaced the crazy January times when there was only one national signing day in early February. We thought this was mostly done, but then Nick Saban decided to retire last week, which you and I talked about. And that has led to a huge number of Bama guys choosing to transfer away from Tuscaloosa. And the Longhorns have been the beneficiary of several of those guys. Maybe a couple more to come as well. Let's start with the first commitment from the weekend. Isaiah Bond announced the day after Nick Saban said he was retiring that he was hitting the portal. Visited Austin over the weekend. I think he may have committed before he even left Austin. Just how big of a get is this for Steve Sarkeesian and his staff? Well, you know, when you lose 80% of the production out of a position room like Texas did at the end of 2023 in the wide receiver core, you got to restock. You got to reload. And the best way to do that is to recruit at a high level and then bring in experienced guys from the portal. I mean, that's that's the new wave, Trey. That that that's how that's business as usual these days now. And so Isaiah Bond is a <laughs> This is a 21-1 kid in the 200. Like, the, there's one thing all three of these new receivers have in common, Matthew Golden, Isaiah Bond, and, and, and Silas Bolden, who we'll talk about 
speed, like just God-given natural speed. Isaiah Bond can go. I remember him actually uh, as a recruit out of high, a high school in Georgia. Uh, Texas had offered him and, and recruited him a little bit before he, he chose Alabama. And he was always that that shifty, fast, quick guy that, that could get open with ease. Uh, he came and jumped into that Alabama uh, recruiting class after Devontae Smith and John Mechie and Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddell. Basically all there, you know, when, when Sark was getting to play with those toys. So Bond shows up and all those guys are gone and it just wasn't the same. And so, um, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I think Bond was originally going to hit the portal. I, I think before the Saban stuff came out, he was going to hit the portal. And I believe Alabama kind of talked him out of it. Told him, hey, you know, in some ways maybe renegotiated his NIL deal. Uh, but at the end of the day, he wanted to, to, to he wanted a fresh start. Uh, these guys see stuff like Adonai Mitchell jumping to Austin, having an all-conference year, probably going in the first or second round in April. And that's what they want. This is this is Bond's going to be Devon's de facto contract year, essentially. You know, come in, be productive. You're going to get plenty of reps. You're going to get plenty of opportunities. Uh, this The wide receiver room is going to look different. And I think the offense is going to look a little bit different, too, uh, in the spring when they try to, to, to get all these versatile guys and, and put them in the right spots. But adding Isaiah Bond, you know what you added? You added an all-SEC wide receiver with experience, with starts, with production, and God-given speed, and, and that's what this offense requires. Let's talk about that other wide receiver you just mentioned. Silas Bolden was the number one wideout for Oregon State. Even though he is diminutive in stature, he makes up for that with speed and explosiveness and spades. But Texas has an interesting issue on their hands now, Justin, because with the additions of Bond, Golden already committing and signing with Texas from the University of Houston, and Jonte Cook waiting in the wings as that fourth wide receiver from this 2023 team. It felt like Texas was set at wide receiver in terms of those starters, but Silas uh, is obviously going to have a lot of say-so in that as well. So what type of player is he? And I guess rank those four guys in terms of most to least, least likely be starting uh, when the season gets going here next September. Yeah, with Bolden, I think Bolden is more in the mold of Keelan Robinson. I think that's going to be his his role. Um, he's little. Like my man Ian Boyd who just had a baby girl yesterday, him and his, his beautiful wife, Kat. And I just want to give them a congratulations and, and nothing but the best. Um, he called him a water bug because that's, that's what Bolden is. That little joker is dynamic in space. And so I think you're going to see, and he had breakout games against Notre Dame, against, against Utah. Bolden is legit. Um, I see him more as a gadget back. Now he's going to play some receiver. He'll play some running back. He's going to be on a special teams as well. And so I, I, this is just an example of them replacing bodies. You know, they didn't just lose three, three starters. They also lost Casey Kane. You know, they also lost a, a couple other guys to the portal. And so you got to replenish th th that room. And they brought in four guys from the 2024 class. And, and I think those guys are, you know, in early. And, and, and Ryan Wingo and Parker Livingstone are two guys that I feel like are going to play early. Um, but Bolden is one of those. He's, I believe he's going to do a little bit of everything. And that's what's going to be different. You know, Sark went with a short bench at receiver last year. There was not much rotation beyond the top three and Jonte Cook. Those were really the main guys. I think you're going to see more flexibility there now. And the fact that I think these guys can play a lot of different spots, inside and out, which I think is going to be imperative, especially when they do more four wide. 
And obviously when they, they, they stick with that 12 personnel that they really like. And so Bolton to me is going to be the water bug. He's going to be the jet sweep guy. He's going to be the quick screen guy. He's going to be the, the special team, one of the special teams guys. And essentially this is Sark taking a page out of Pete Carroll playbook. Uh, you stack talent at every single position, regardless of who's in that room, because at some point the cream is going to rise to the, to the top. The standard will continually be pushed up when you continue to bring in uh, highly talented, talented guys there. And so bold to me um, is more of your water bug type. I, I think he's not the most traditional wide receiver. He's five, eight, like maybe one sixty. I mean, he's a little joker, um, but man, when you put the ball in his hands, he does special things. Um, ranking all of them. Um, Jonte Cook would be one simply because he knows the offense front and back. He knows the offense better than the guys that are stepping on campus. And the truth is, I think if they weren't so stacked at receiver last year, Jonte Cook would have, would have thrived as a freshman, similar to Anthony Hill, similar to, uh, CJ Baxter and and similar to uh, Manny Muhammad. And so, uh, but, but, you know, you have to wait your turn sometimes in a place like Texas with the talent in that roster. I put Cook number one. I put Matthew Golden number two because they've got to have an outside guy. And he at six foot 190 is the most likely. He originally was supposed to come in the Xavier Worthy spot. But now I think you're going to see him in multiple spots uh, just simply because of the log jam they are with, with those inside guys. And so, Matthew Golden would be my second guy. Bond, actually, my third. And, and I mean, it's close. Him and him and Golden are close. Bond's just got blinding speed, and and he's got a penchant for big plays. You know, he had a big touchdown catch uh, late against Auburn. Uh, he, he, he did a lot of things uh, for, for Alabama that when you're in that moment, you want to see those guys thrive. Like, that's what, what it's all about. You can talk up star ratings, experience, production. But when you're in the moment, who comes to play? Who makes the play? Isaiah Bond does. And then lastly, Sil- Silas Bolden. And if that's the last of a foursome, buddy, that's a pretty explosive group. And so, like I said, I think Bolden's going to be a little more versatile, be able to do a lot more things. And I think the offense is going to be a little bit more um, open as well because there's a lot of guys they're bringing in, new guys, and you still have a DeAndre Moore, who is a pristine route runner. You still have a Ryan Niblett, who's a 10-4, 10-5 kid. And so – this is just Sark taking out a page from Coach Carroll. Hey, throw as many talented guys as you can at, at a spot. They'll battle it out, and the best usually come out on top. And Texas cherry-picking from Alabama's roster, or guys who were formerly on Alabama's roster who are now in the transfer portal, continued yesterday afternoon with Kendrick Blackshire. He is a special teams guy first in terms of ex- experience with the Crimson Tide these last few years. Also plays linebacker, though. How much of is he a threat? How much of a threat is he to capture one of those starting linebacker spots next season? But considering that there is some playing time open with Jalen Ford's departure, I you know that's that that's going to be the big question coming out of spring because I don't know if Blackshire, unlike some of the other portal guys, not every transfer portal kid's going to start. And they don't like hearing that, but, I mean, that's just the truth. I don't think they sold him on being a starter. I think they sold him on, we need inside linebackers going into this conference. We need guys that can stuff the run, shoot gaps, don't get caught in the wash. And the fact that he's a three-year experienced guy from a, from a program like Alabama, I had a few people ask me, well, you know, he, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't very productive at Alabama. Neither was Adonai Mitchell at Georgia. You know, it – where you come from doesn't always indicate where you're going. And for a guy like that, I think people need to understand that 
you know, it, 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 it's he, he there's a lot of good players at Alabama. When you got Will Anderson's and Dallas Turner's coming through, sometimes you got to wait your turn. I think Blackshire likes the opportunity to come home. You know, he's originally from Mesquite Horn. That's where I met him. He played at Duncanville as junior, I believe junior and senior year. I always envisioned him as a defensive lineman because that joker was like 230 in high school, 240 in high school. He was always a big, big kid. But what he's going to do is he's going to bring depth to that to that inside linebacker core. And understand he's not replacing Jalen Ford. I don't think that's possible. But Anthony Hill is going to likely slide into that Mike role where Jalen was at. And then you're going to have David Benda. You're going to have Kendrick Blackshire, Maurice Blackwell, Leona LaFowle, Darren Gallette. Um, you got some talented guys there now. You got some guys that might be ready to take the next step. And so I don't anticipate Blackshire starting. I could be wrong. He could come through and blow away in the spring and and take somebody's spot. But right now, I think they feel like they're they're getting ready for bully ball because in the SEC, from what I'm told, if you can't stop the run, they're going to continually run it down your throat until you do. And for a guy like Kendrick Blackshire at 6'2 and a half, 245 pounds, he is the consummate run stuffer. He is a guy that's going to plug the middle. And when you lose your lever, when you lose your anchors in Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, which were just absolutely vital up the middle, buddy, you got to you, you got to make make hay in other ways. And I think adding Blackshire is going to do that to this linebacker room. It's an experienced group with some young talent, and I love the mixture there. I think it's I think it's phenomenal. Is Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Coming up, we're going to get into a couple more transfer possibilities, guys from Bama, unsurprisingly, I guess, as well as gather Justin thoughts on the Dallas Cowboys season coming to an abrupt end here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. One more segment with Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, the Inside Texas YouTube channel. He's on Twitter at JustinWells2424, and you can hear him on this show for a couple of segments, usually Wednesday starting at about 6.15. Justin, we talked about the guys. Texas has landed in the transfer portal over the last week, a couple of Alabama kids a wide receiver from Oregon State and Silas Bolden. There are three more Alabama names who are in the transfer portal that I think make a lot of sense for Texas if they can make the numbers work, the roster numbers, maybe the NIL numbers as well. Caleb Downs, Caden Proctor, and uh, Nye Black, the tight end too. I think he would be a great depth guy for Texas at tight end. Downs seems like the most obvious option for Texas to try and gather his services because he does play the safety position. And we know how devoid safety felt uh, at times this season for Texas. Uh, Is he the most obvious take for you amongst those three guys, though? You know, Trey, we're getting in dangerous territory because Caleb Downs is a surefire take at any point. If you're you're choosing a a pickup game, Caleb goes first. You know, he's going to play on Sundays in a couple of years. Um, That being said, if they didn't bring in Andrew Makuba, if John A. Barron didn't come back, and if they didn't have a rising star in Derek Williams, I'd say Caleb Downs is the most important guy on the portal. But they do. They have all those guys. And at some point, you want to bring in as much to any as many talented guys as you can, but you don't want to upset the apple cart. Hmm. And you don't want to screw with culture and, and what's going on. 
And I say this again, Caleb Downs is, is a no-brainer in my eyes. You, you, you bring that guy to any program because he can be a difference maker immediately. But where does he play? Are you going to are you going to stump somebody's development like a Derrick Williams just to get another year or two out of Caleb Downs? Are you going to tell Makuba, who just left as an all ACC guy in Clemson, that he's a backup now? Um, you know, it's one of those things. And then don't forget the NIL factor, and and don't act like the, you know it's unlimited funds because the funds aren't unlimited. They they, they really aren't. And Sark has been very judicious with how the allocation of how, you know, who gets what and when and where on a player by player basis. And so, yeah, you take Caleb Downs. But then again, you're I think that almost invites more problems. And and those are great problems to have. Don't don't get it twisted. You lost Jaron Thompson. You lost Keaton Crawford. You need some depth back there. But is Caleb Downs going to back up somebody? Is he coming off the bench? Because I highly doubt it. And so that downs would be the obvious one. Caden Proctor, I was talking to the staff about this one the other day. Caden Proctor is a guy that I would take as well. Um, I didn't see him get better over mm. the year, though. I, I saw a super talented guy, young, you know, moldable clay type kid with, with good feet. But he wasn't any better in the, in the playoff than he was in week two when Texas played him. And so that gives me a little pause, not to mention um, – you got Brandon Baker coming in, offensive tackle out of modern day, a five star who who looks fantastic, and they've got a budding budding star in, in, in offensive tackle Trevor Gooseby out of uh, out of Melissa from the class of 2023. You don't want to mess with that development either because that that's another kid that I think is going to be really good when Kelvin Banks uh, goes to greener pastures. And so Proctor's one. Uh, the one that they need is Nye Black. That's the need. If there's one position on this team, or two rather, that that really need one or two more bodies, it's tight end and it's defensive line. Now, I think the D line will be fixed somewhere after spring ball when the when the portal reopens and, and you get to see some of the guys figure out exactly where they're going to be, where they're not going to be. And, and of course, with with Jim Harbaugh probably <laughs> going to the NFL, you better be scoping out Michigan's D line too because uh, those are some guys that you could take as well. But tight end. I mean, look at what they've done on offense, all the retooling, all the adding and, and, and stuff like that. They, this is going to this could potentially be a better offense, which is crazy to say with the guys that they're losing that they've lost over the last two years. Really um, just pure NFL talent. But Amari um, Black fits a lot of hole. He fits in that hole, man. He, he is a guy six, five, about 235, 240, had a big touchdown against Texas, had a pretty good season uh, at Alabama last year, has a couple years left. And so I don't want to be that guy that says you don't need Caleb Downs. But this team may not necessarily need Caleb Downs as much as they need another tight end to go along with Gunnar Helm and the 12 personnel, letting Spencer Shannon and Will Randall and those guys develop another year. And then with Caden Proctor, you have recruited so well on the offensive line the last two or three cycles. Like just Kyle Flood has knocked it out. Do you want to, do you want to mess with that with a guy that with a bunch of upside, but you've been developing a Cam Williams for two years now, who looks like he might be ready to start in 2024. Kelvin Banks is coming back as as going into his third year as a starter at left tackle. Trevor Goosby, I'm going to say the name again. People don't understand that is a very talented young man that a lot of people get caught up in Kelvin Banks and DJ Campbell and Jake Majors and Cole Hudson. Let me tell you, Trevor Goosby's got some upside, brother. The need to me is Nye Black. 
but it'd be really hard to tell Caleb Downs and 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 and, and Caden Proctor no. Also, again, the NIL factor. You know, the, the funds are not unlimited. You, you're not going to just go to the high. They're not the Yankees. They're not going to overbid everyone else to try to stack a lineup with cash. And then all of a sudden have to turn around and go, well, I don't know if Makuba is going to start now. Well, Barron came back, so I don't know if he's going to play there either. Well, I don't know if Goosby's going to be in the rotation because of Proctor. You bring in all the talent you can, but at some point you're going to have to dance with the one you brought. What about Jabbar Muhammad? He is obviously an all-Pac-12 performer at cornerback at Washington. Washington, of course, loses their coach. DeBoer now at Alabama. Muhammad is visiting Austin today and tomorrow. Texas potentially has a need at that second cornerback position opposite Jabbar's cousin, Malik, who I would argue was the best cover corner for this team by season's end this last year. Is uh, does Jabbar Muhammad end up with the Longhorns when it's all said and done? Um, you know, <sighs> hate to sound like a broken record. Um, if Jabbar Muhammad becomes available, do you take him? Yes, he was at Alabama a couple days ago. Uh, he, there's a potential he could go see Oregon. Like Jabbar Muhammad is the uh, quintessential trade up guy. You know, out of DeSoto High School, I remember his recruitment. He was always a talented guy. Went to Oklahoma State, made a name for himself, bet on himself. Then goes up to Washington and makes an appearance in the national championship as their best member of their secondary. You know, it's it's definitely all in the family when you're talking to the Muhammads and Manny, who's been a starter for Texas last year as a freshman. But I'm going to say it again. They got two starters coming back and depth coming back at the corner position. Do you want to hold back Terrence Brooks? who may technically be one of the most talented guys in the secondary. Uh, you know, Galvin Holmes, where, where do you find him at as a second-year guy uh, who's added depth? And don't forget, they brought in three of the absolute best corners in high school in 2024. Kobe Black at 6'2", 200 pounds, has a college-ready body right now. That's Ryan Watts with Twitch. Um, Wardell Mack is an animal you know, DB out of Louisiana that they flipped from Florida that they didn't let LSU get. Wardell Mack is an absolute dog in the mold of a Derrick Williams type. And then, honestly, Santana Wilson, son of uh, former NFL All-Pro Adrian Wilson, might be the best of all of them. That kid has some Fred Astaire feet. He is light. He can turn his hips. He is a pure corner, which is which is kind of rare. And so – that we have that question again. Jabbar Muhammad, do you turn him down? No, you can't turn him down. But do you mess up the chemistry that you've got in that secondary, bringing in maybe one too many guys? I'm surprised he didn't go to the draft, Trey. I thought he was among one of the top 100, top 150 guys. You're talking about a third or fourth round pick. But like he did before, he's betting on himself. And maybe he wants another run at that national title. Maybe he got a taste of it up in the Pacific Northwest and, and didn't like the, the the flavor that Michigan left on him. And uh, they do get to go back up to Ann Arbor in, in week two next this this next season and, and get to, to, to face Michigan. And so do you turn him down? No, but you make damn sure you don't screw with this, the chemistry in that in that position room. All right, last question, Justin. We have about 30 seconds here. I'm assuming the Cowboys will eventually fire Mike McCarthy. Is that the right move, and who do you want to see them replace McCarthy with? 
I've been one of those guys on the outside that I have never thought Mike McCarthy should be fired. I thought it was a retooling from the inside out. I always blame uh, the management and administration in the front office because you've got a general manager that doesn't really know how to be a general manager, and you've got a lot of nepotism throughout that program, throughout that franchise, until last Saturday. I don't know if I've ever seen a more unprepared team in my life. Now, I want to give Matt LaFleur a lot of credit. I thought Green Bay dialed up some really good stuff. Agreed. I thought Jordan Love looked really good. Like, I did not – I expected a good game. I didn't expect that. And I think you have to give LaFleur and all those guys a ton of credit. They were losing guys, too. They were missing guys to injuries, too. I'm in the boat now. McCarthy has to go. And I'm telling you from a – not just an internal standpoint, but from a fan standpoint. Because I don't care who you draft and who you sign and who you bring in to Valley Ranch <laughs> in the, if they still do that, Thousand Oaks. Uh, I don't care who you bring in when, when fall when uh, when camp starts in July, this fan base is going to be jaded as long as Mike McCarthy's still there, no matter what. And I love Dak taking responsibility. I love him putting that on his shoulders. And that's what a quarterback and a leader is supposed to do. But here's why I think Mike McCarthy isn't going to make it. Because there are three coaches that are available right now that weren't available last week. Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, and Jim Harbaugh. And I think that in and of itself is going to lend Jerry Jones to take a risk with one of those guys. He is Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, the Inside Texas YouTube channel. Follow him on Twitter at JustinWells2424 and hear him on this very show for a couple of segments, usually on Wednesday, starting at about 6.15. Justin, thank you as always for the time, my friend. Nothing but love, my man. All right, coming up and where are we at in society? Electric vehicle owners had a serious problem during the recent countrywide deep freeze. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. All right, final segment of today's show. Before we get to where we're at in society, I do need to let you know about a friend of mine. His name is Brian Hummel. His website, HummelRealtor.com. Are you searching for your dream home in Austin? Or maybe you're curious about how much your home is worth? Look no further than Brian Hummel, your trusted Austin realtor with Realty One Group Prosper. Brian is more than just a realtor. He's a full-service expert overseeing your entire transaction from start to finish. He'll lead you through each step of the buying or selling process with questions answered and details explained in plain English. With over two decades in Austin, Brian has witnessed the dynamic growth and evolution of the Central Texas market, making him your invaluable resource for buying, selling, and investing. Plus, as a certified real estate negotiator, Brian brings a strategic and skillful approach to bargaining. He secures the best deals, whether it's getting the highest price for a seller or the most favorable terms for a buyer. It's been interesting living here in Central Texas over the last year because this market has cooled off, relatively speaking, to what it had been in the years leading up to that. But guess what? All signs are pointing to things heating up once again. Right now, we have more homes on the market than uh, is typically the case the rest of the year. And it's strangely a good time for both buyers and sellers right now. That's why you should contact Brian today if you are either at 512-619-1347. That's 619-1347. Or log on to HummelRealtor.com. That's H-U-M-M-E-L, Realtor.com. Brian Hummel, Realty One, the one you need. It is the final segment of today's show, which means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? 
That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism as it's all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out, but sadly, today is not that day. And today's Where We At stories begins with a bit of a focus on electric vehicles. Now, I always need to preface these sorts of stories by telling you I am not opposed to electric vehicles. I think electric vehicles have a value in modern society. I would argue that hybrid vehicles are the best of all worlds, but there are plenty of people choosing to go purely electric. I understand that decision, even if I'm not completely on board with it. And one of the reasons why I'm not completely on board with it is because I keep reading stories that prove It's not as cut and dry as electric vehicles just being the better option. There was a story from several months ago, talked about on this show, where electric vehicles are significantly heavier than your standard gas-powered automobile. I want to say it's something like 8 to 10 times heavier, which may cause all sorts of infrastructure and parking garage-related problems in the future if the entire fleet becomes electric and we don't figure out a way to make these cars lighter. Another potential issue. If the electricity grid goes down, what does that do for you if you need to charge your car? I guess you could make a similar argument for gas-powered vehicles needing gas, and if there's no way to get gas to stations, then how are you going to gas up your car But we're going to focus on the EV side of things because we just had some severe weather hit most of this country. And unfortunately, EV owners found themselves in quite a pickle as a result. You see, not only does cold weather have a negative effect on EV batteries, it apparently has an adverse effect on charging stations as well. And that has to do with Lithium batteries that the EVs use, they have to use more power in the cold, making it more likely that you're going to zap that power. There's also issues with the charging stations and their ability to work properly in cold weather as well. There is an ABC Chicago report from earlier this week where, where the charging station wasn't working at all. In one video, a Chicago person waited five hours in line to charge his electric vehicle because so many stations' batteries were dead. During that time period, he saw at least 10 cars get towed because their cars were dead on arrival. In a separate incident, a Tesla driver described to WBRC about the charging mess all EV drivers saw on Monday night. Quote, right from outside the highway, there's a whole line of cars, over 20 cars, all Teslas. We're waiting and waiting for over an hour. It's unfortunate that these cars are sitting dead in the driving lot spots. On top of that, there are studies that show that lithium batteries that are currently being used are actually really bad for the environment as well, in part because they can't be disposed of in any sort of safe ways. It's unfortunate 
think that a combination of things might be invaluable for the future, but we're at a weird point with this country where you're one or the other. You're either a gas person or an electric person. I'm in the gray area. What does that mean? Just left out in the cold, I guess. No pun intended. Thank goodness it's warming up, by the way. You can only take those teens temperatures with wind chill in the single digits for so long. It's going to be back up in the upper 60s or maybe even crack 70 tomorrow. Hallelujah for this schizophrenic time of year weather-wise here in Texas. Not because I like it changing as often as it is, but because as quickly as it gets cold, it starts to warm up again. And that's where the cold weather becomes much more tolerable when you're getting it in tiny doses. Just get that little taste. A little taste of the cold weather to realize how badly it sucks if you're stuck in that day after day, week after week, month after month. Living in some place like Chicago for a winter, which I did, drink up. For six winters, and it was in the middle of the seventh winter that I realized that there was a better way. And so I convinced my wife to move back to Texas, and well, the rest is history. Moving on now from electric vehicles to Snoop Dogg. Remember the claim that Snoop made several months ago? That he was giving up smoking? He's quitting smoking. Well, that was a marketing bit, as I'm sure many of you now know. Involving the company Solo Stove. The stunt started with what sounded like news from Snoop saying that he was hanging up his rolling papers and, quote, quitting smoke. Instead, it turned out to be a marketing gimmick for a small outdoor fireplace. And while the stunt did draw a lot of attention to these stoves, it did not translate into sales. According to reports, the initial returns did seem promising with the company raking in 60,000 new followers on social media. But here's the catch, folks. We put so much emphasis on social media numbers. Far too often we see that not translating into real life action. And that's exactly what happened here. The company, Solo Stoves, came up short of its target of a 520 to 540 million dollar yearly revenue stream. As a result, the company CEO, well, well, his job is now up in smoke. I am sorry. That was a bad pun. That was a very dad-like pun here. My kids would be ashamed of me right now if they were to hear that. But it is the reality, and you just got to be careful. If you are going to pay a celebrity as much as Solo Stoves probably paid Snoop, to lie to people that he was about to quit smoking, you'd better make sure that those projections hit. Because otherwise, you paid a lot of money for nothing. And I guess that's what happened here. Meanwhile, Snoop has a lot more dough to spend on smoking that ganja. I don't want to live in a world where Snoop Dogg is not smoking weed, by the way. I know it's not technically legal here in Texas, although it is decriminalized in Austin. This world needs a half-baked or fully-baked Snoop Dogg. We need a world 
where Snoop Dogg is literally paying somebody's annual salary to roll his joints for him. Sober Snoop Dogg? What does that look like even? Gonna be guy's gonna be wandering around aimlessly. It's like asking for a completely sober Willie Nelson. Are we better off if Willie, at his age, decides to completely give up the ganja? Or did do we just let Willie live out his days as the character that we've become so accustomed to over the last decades? Some things are just meant to be. Snoop Dogg, Willie Nelson, Tommy Chong. I don't know if Cheech still does this. I assume he does some version of it. We'll find out at South by Southwest this year. Tommy Chong. I mean, there's a long list of guys that you are just going to associate with the ganja for the rest of their lives, and that's okay. That's a decision that they're making, and hopefully they're not neglecting familial or other responsibilities in their lives as a result of the ganja. All right, that is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. Thank you to Justin Wells of Inside Texas and the Inside Texas YouTube channel for joining me to talk Longhorn football and also a little bit of Dallas Cowboys future. Join me tomorrow at 6. The conversation will include stand-up comedian Joe DeRosa headlining at Joe Rogan's Comedy Mothership this weekend. Going to talk stand-up and sandwiches with Joe. He's actually a sandwich shop owner up in New York City, and sandwiches are my favorite food. Thanks as well to you for listening today. Enjoy the rest of your evening. We'll talk to you on the other side. In the meantime, welcome. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.